Welcome to the Compassion Parenting Podcast, helping moms to love wisely and well. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Wild, integrative pediatrician and mom of eight sons who continually challenge and teach me. Over the years, I've learned that rather than outward technique, it's the internal landscape of the heart that affects parenting more than anything else. Mothering is about being, not just doing. You have everything you need within you to become the parent you want to be. So let's bring it out. In this episode, we're going to be talking about a compassionate approach to ADHD. And I couldn't think of any better person to invite as a guest than Dr. Laura Hannes Webb. Dr. Lauren Hans-Webb is a clinical psychologist in the Bay Area. She's the author of several books and publications, books including The Gift of ADHD and Six Super Skills for Executive Functioning, and she's been featured in all kinds of impressive places, and I'm so grateful to have her joining us. Thank you, Laura, for being with us. Thank you for having me here, Mary. I'm really excited to join you. So um, when I was navigating the ADHD question for my own son many years ago, I discovered the work of Lara and I really, it resonated so much with me because it focused on a strength-based approach. And Lara, could you start out by telling us why it's important to have a strength-based approach to ADHD? Well, I think the first thing to say is that, you know, a child's sense of self-efficacy, the sense that they've had past successes and that they can continue to have past successes is going to affect their ability to get started. I mean, so if I ask a if I ask a client in the middle of a session, so as you're sitting there and you know you have to do your homework and you're not getting started, what are you saying to yourself? And the most common answer is that they're saying, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And there is this tendency to remember past failures and that that just, and negative feedback that they've gotten. Mm -hmm. And that makes it hard to get started. And so here we go with how a negative label can make it harder to get the work done as as a child loses confidence. And so, and in fact, the research supports that. There was one study that showed that a positive perception of a child's behavior leads to less frequent negative interactions and less intense negative emotional experiences, which leads us to, you know, one other element we want to highlight. If you are having intense negative emotions, I mean, even think about this as an adult, how hard is it for you to focus? How hard is it for you to pay attention? Those emotions are like waves that are crashing in and distracting you from your focus. I think that's so important. Um, And maybe we can even step back to say, what are we even talking about when we talk about ADHD? Um, You know, there's the DSM definition, but, but one way that I talk to my clients about ADHD is that it's a clinical term describing tendencies, tendencies for focus and or impulsivity issues 
that come for a variety of reasons. And mm -hmm. even if you don't have a clinical diagnosis, these principles that we're going to be talking about today mm -hmm. can apply to you and your child. So, and I think a strength-based approach to pretty much anything mm -hmm. is the way to go for the reasons mm -hmm. that you highlighted. So in your newest book, Six Super Skills, um, you identify finding gifts as one of those super skills that helps build executive function. Um, and when we talk about executive function, we're talking about planning, focusing, remembering, organizing, that type of thing. So how does it help to find our gifts? Mm -hmm. Well, in a couple ways, in the sense that um, as we think about the label, what you just said, attention, deficit, hyperactivity, disorder. Now, what I also, um, and I actually came into this through teaching, and I had a student with ADHD at the college level who came to me and um, was doing poorly in my class, but was very, very engaged with the material and had a lot of creative ideas and was thinking very deeply about it, but couldn't do very well on the multiple choice test. And he said that he thinks that he almost defined himself. And I think this is what you're trying to say, that this is not who you are mm -hmm. as a deficit disorder. And that, that definition of yourself is going to have a cascade of negative effects. So for example, the theories of depression are that it's caused by a global negative internal stable belief about yourself. Mm -hmm. And so what this student had really made clear was he took that to mean that he was a, a deficit disorder. Mm -hmm. And really he had a lot of talents even in the classroom. It was really a narrow band deficit in memorizing and paying attention while he studied. Mm -hmm. And um, and so what, what can happen is that you need to challenge those negative stable beliefs about yourself. And that because what's going to happen is that can create depression, that can create anxiety. And in fact, um, there was just a recent study that came out even this August 2021 showing that young adults with ADHD um, have much higher rates of substance use disorders than young adults without ADHD. Mm -hmm. And so you can imagine if you have this internalized negative view of yourself that you're gonna use substances to manage the emotions and that negative self-concept and low expectations. Mm -hmm. And I think some parents, because they recognize, you know, that having a label can affect somebody's self-definition, then they hesitate to get help for their child. And what would you say to that? I would say, you know, get the help. And, um, but you can, as a parent, you know, kind of give their child the message that we're, we're trying to give them. And, and this is how I understand it, that it is a brain difference and that all of the deficits also have a strength that goes with them. For example, there's research that shows that adults with ADHD um, are better at divergent thinking than adults without ADHD. 
And what that means is that, that if you give them a problem to solve, they can come up with a lot more different possibilities for how do you solve this. And so they may be the ones that are more innovative and more creative. And, um, and also, you know, sometimes the emotional sensitivity can be a distraction and can go hand in hand with ADHD. And, but we know that, you know, the world needs people who are emotionally sensitive to other people that are caring about other people. And of course, you know, it's, it's a really interesting thing because many um, kids with adult kids with ADHD go on to be successful adults because of some of the same symptoms. Mm-hmm. You know, one example is I remember a client who was being sent to the principal's office because he was talking too much and he was moving around too much. And he said that his father was a salesperson and was very successful and made his living because he talked to people all day and he traveled all day. Yes. And I think as parents, it's really important not only for our kids to have this strength-based view, but for us to hold on to Mm -hmm. that strength-based view of our own child. And Mm -hmm. I remember when my own son was struggling with some issues, one reason that I I kind of felt this inward resistance to the whole ADHD definition and um, everything that kind of went along with it, like this baggage, was because I felt like sometimes from the school system and sometimes from other people, there was just this, like you said, this negative view. But I saw so many wonderful gifts in my Mm -hmm. son. I saw he was just so creative, so exuberant and energetic and a lot of fun and and I just didn't want anything to squash that (laughs) so I think that's what so many parents are wanting they're saying is there a way that we can address these tendencies without somehow squashing the good and Mm -hmm. and let this person you know really be their full self I remember I saw a post that somebody wrote they described their child as an electric boy. And I thought that that was such Mm -hmm. a interesting um, description of that, like that energetic power that sometimes Mm -hmm. comes with particularly the, you know, the hyperactive subtype. (laughs) But, Mm -hmm. But as parents, I think, you know, one of our jobs is to parent the future child and hold on to the vision of our child and not buy into limited views. You know, it's funny that you say that because there's such a, if we can think that what happens in school is that they're being, the focus is on memorization and studying. But as adults, I think we understand that in the real world, most jobs involve problem solving, like real problems in the real world that really need to be solved. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is innovation and creativity. And, you know, for example, um, I've had some technology executives say it's so ironic. And one of this particular um, technology executive was someone that it was a part of my research. And he actually did not complete high school. Mm-hmm. Yet he, and he said, not one teacher gave me any p- positive feedback. Well, he went on to be a very successful technology executive in a global corporation. And what he ended up finding out was that he was, um, they gave him like a battery of tests for you know management training. They tend to do that. And he found out that he actually had a high IQ and that he was high on social intelligence and went on to be very successful. And 
so, and I have so many stories like that. And one of the things he joked about was he said, at our corporation, we have to pay people to come in and teach our, our workers to be creative because <laughs> so we're paying people to come in and say, here's how you be creative, but they're not getting that in the education system. And that's what the working world actually needs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of parents come to me and they say, you know, how do I find the balance between accommodation and skill building? You know, I don't want to just accommodate, accommodate, accommodate. How will my child grow? But I don't want to put them in a situation where they're constantly set up to fail. So how do I find that balance? And one thing that I talk to parents about is accommodations that help people perform at their true ability and that actually are kind of a bridge to um, the more adult world, because like you said, you know, in the real world, we get to self-select mm-hmm. a lot of the things that we do. Often we get to choose how much time we, we take for things. You know, that's not always true. Um, but those accommodations that just kind of overcome the, the limitations of, you know, the the school system model that don't necessarily translate into the real world, I think those are perfect areas to to have accommodations in. That's so important because, you know, one of the things that um, I have no, so just let's just talk by definition. When you look at the word interest, by definition, it means attentiveness, um, wanting to pay attention, even like, you know, desperate to learn more about when you're interested in something. Mm -hmm. And so the truth is that once kids get out of school, um, that they will self-select into something that they're interested in. And, you know, some people have said, oh, we've gone too far with do what you love because I don't want my child to be a pastry chef or, you know, but the idea here is that they can do something they're interested in or more interested in than something else. And I mean, I mean, maybe as adults need to start being more honest when we talk to kids and, you know, um, I'm glad I'm not taking pre-calculus right now. (laughs) You know, I probably, I, you know, I'm, I wouldn't want to do it and I probably would need accommodations right now. And it has nothing to do with my life. Good. Thank goodness. But, um, so the idea is, yeah, we have to respect the school system. We, you know, we, they need to hit those markers. They need to learn these disciplines. And I think the idea of skill building to go to your original question is we can help them to set goals and we can help them to plan. And we do want them to build the executive functions. And, you know, we can do that through setting goals, which helps with planning and chunking them down into a sequence of steps. These are going to serve them for the rest of their life. And so I think that we can also think of this not only as directly related to um, what career they're going to do, but the general idea of we can be healthier human beings. Yes. If we build these skills and that that regulating your mood is going to lead to um, more success in life and happiness and protect you from depression and anxiety and other things. And so as they learn these skills, it will apply to all areas of their life and their relationships too. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I love about, I mean, the two books of yours that I have on my shelf and I recommend to all my clients that have ADHD are the gift of ADHD because it just gives this positive focus that kind of heals the whole 
foundation and then mm -hmm. the six super skills because it helps parents know where to start mm -hmm. because they can feel like where do i begin you know i'm having these homework battles will my child ever you know be a successful adult do they have the skills you know and it gives you six things that that you have found through years of research decades of research to be the things that make the most difference and so i think it can provide a lot of evidence-based direction to parents about what to really focus on, what to worry about, what to not worry about. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, in, in building skills, um, for example, I would just think of it as progress, not perfection. And I think one of the things that can trip up kids and trip up parents is this idea of you know, I, I want this to look really good. And what you really are looking for is to see a little bit of progress. And mm -hmm. so it can be that, for example, someone sets a goal that they're going to, um, you know, they're going to, every time they get an assignment, they're going to preview it as soon as they get it. Mm -hmm. And versus, you know, typical scenario is it's a Friday night and your student needs a paper due on a Monday and they have to have a do a book report and the book's not in the library. <laughs> and, you know, so the idea being that we want to, if you can give them the skill, because I work with this with adults too in the workplace where they procrastinate and at the last minute they realize, wait a minute, I can't even get started until so-and-so gives me this and that. And I am now no assurance that I can have that happen in the next 12 hours. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So just even simple, small habits, like when I get an assignment, I'm going to preview it. And then I'm going to put the first thing I need to do. I'm going to read the first 10 pages of the book. I'm going to write that in my calendar for Tuesday at four, you know, mm -hmm. so just building these skills um, and just, you know, moment by moment, these small habits will add up and you will give them time to slowly build their executive functions. Mm -hmm. And I like how you say bit by bit and slowly. I mean, certain skills do come like in an aha moment, but it's a process. And most of the time with ADHD, it's not an emergency. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes clients come in and say, oh, my six-year-old, the teacher is telling me that they're getting out of their desk. They might have ADHD. What should I do? Do I have to start them on medication? And, you know, it's just this whole mm -hmm. flurry of, oh, no. But I always you know, help parents just pause and take a breath. And because they're really, you know, you can't put it off indefinitely. And because over time, people's um, experiences do start, you know, if they're having struggles and they don't have tools, then that does chip away at their self-efficacy. But, um, you know, usually you have time to think about it. You have time to build skills mm -hmm. and, and try skill building either in conjunction conjunction with medication or initially before going to medication. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if there's any possibility for accommodations, particularly at the younger ages, um, because I mean, the one thing is that, that, you know, some of these are developmentally appropriate. And so when the diagnosis comes in, it's when there is um, impairments in functioning. And so, and we also know that just, you know, development lags for different kids. And so this is where, you know, using the best interventions you can find um, 
and best accommodations you can use, you know, may buy you some time because some people do see improvement within a year or two years. And, um, and sometimes teachers, different teachers will allow certain accommodations, which could be, um, you know, getting up to, you know, sitting, sitting them in either in the front or having them sit in the back where they're not disruptive to other people. Or, you know, it's interesting because when I interview people um, as adults, that it seems like 20, 30 years ago that there were teachers who would say, hey, why don't you run to the principal's office and bring back this and this and that? And it would give them these kind of more creative ways of solving it, understanding that, um, you know, if, if he just gets a couple movement breaks, which research supports that even small amounts of movements increase focus and attention, and, you know, that that, that they could solve some problems. Definitely. And so I think that as we look at our kids and can act as, as detectives about how their behaviors are telling us what they need instead of just problems, um, then I think that that can help us help our kids succeed. For example, when kids are getting squirrely, often our tendency is to say, okay, keep still, be quiet. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we can instead use that as the cue oh, we need a movement break. And so mm -hmm. letting our own observations direct us to meet the underlying need can be very, very powerful, I think. You know, and, mm -hmm. and there, as you alluded to, like there are so many um, comorbidities that can come along with ADHD, um, including sensory issues, sometimes some learning difficulties. And so it is important to be aware of these things as well. So we aren't just putting a Band-Aid over, you know, a, a problem, but we're getting to the root of it and really doing some detective work to say, what is contributing to this lack of focus or what is um, contributing to a behavior that is not you know, matching the expectation of that context. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I like that a lot that, um, you know, and it can be, as you said, you know, looking for other things that are happening or going on, which could be, you know, there've been some times where really what was going on was anxiety. Mm. And I've seen that in a few cases and really, you know, what ended up being effective with that was some, you know, um, stress management tools. Right. And, and then really in that case, it was more about addressing the negative self-talk or the, um, you know, is this true? And is this helpful to think these thoughts and, and, you know, building up that process. So I think that's a really excellent point to just try to get some clarity about what are some other things that could make a person have a hard time sitting still and anxiety would be one of those. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we're, we're focusing here on a compassionate approach. And so we've talked about focusing on skills and really finding a hopeful and celebratory way to interact with our kids who may be struggling, looking for their strengths, helping use those strengths to build weaker areas. Um, let's, let's turn it around a little bit and think about how compassion also could play a role for us parents who are dealing with kids with ADHD, because certainly having a child who's bouncing off the walls, touching everything, interrupting, mm -hmm. um, you know, and struggling to remember the things we've told them, certainly it does require more patience than 
having a child who sits quietly in colors mm -hmm. and follows directions immediately. So I think self-compassion is really important here. Um, so what do you tell parents if they feel, you know, frustrated with themselves for struggling with being patient with their child with ADHD? Let's start with that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, one place to start would be when you are beating up on yourself and doubting yourself would be to ask yourself, is this helpful or unhelpful? And is it true or is it untrue? And one of the reasons for that is because when you began to um, beat up on yourself, it's not helpful. And it may be that you, you want to have like a little problem solving, you know, have a problem solving session with yourself or a therapist or your partner or other people, the teachers, and really make sure that you're, you know, you've defined the problems and you've gotten some clarity about what you can do, but you really can't control or cure ADHD in, 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 um, you know, in a very, obvious way and that you didn't cause it mm -hmm. and so it, it just recognizing that that self-compassion that you have um you know that just as you would have compassion for anyone whose child had a, a d developmental difference that you can bring that to yourself and to also um and also to notice you, you know the um you know, that what are some positive outcomes that can come from this and to be, take a broader perspective, you know, like, again, that many people with ADHD can go on to be successful and, um, and also really recognizing, as you say, sometimes ADHD kids are just a joy to be around is it's, there's the really structured settings where they're struggling is, is as you focus on what they are doing right and what they are capable of, and knowing that we are all different mm -hmm. and schools are building narrow skill sets and also just asking yourself what's working. Mm -hmm. um, you know, more and more research is showing that emotional intelligence is really important and some ADHD kids can be the life of the party. They can have lots of friends. They may have a hard time sitting still and doing their homework, but they love to be out socially. And that those are things that predict success in the real world. And also just that, you know, in our family life, just knowing that it's the small pleasures that matter. I mean, there's so many things to wonder at in the backyard and in the world. And so really trying to take this broader perspective and being gentle with yourself and kind to yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important. So often we're much more compassionate with other people. Like if our best friend called us and said, oh my goodness, I just totally yelled at my son because he painted all over the wall. You know, we'd, we'd empathize and say, oh my goodness, that must've been so frustrating. You know, we wouldn't be like, oh my goodness, you, how could you do that? <laughs> so, but so often we are so much harder on ourselves. And, and when we have these interactions that don't go smoothly, that is an opportunity to model repair. Exactly. And we can say, okay, I didn't feel good about how that went. I'm sorry about this, but I do expect that. And how can this go better next time? 
I think that can be very helpful. And, and also, you know, doing some internal work sometimes because as parents, sometimes we can accumulate some emotional baggage toward a certain child who makes things a little more difficult. And to recognize it's there, if it is, to not beat ourselves up over it, but just to learn to release it. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes that does require processing with a therapist or a friend or some support system. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, and I mean, I think another way to expand that is to having compassion for your child. Um, I remember one time in a session that, you know, the parents and the child were having a lot of conflict about the poor grades. And it was really obvious to me that that child wanted to get good grades. And so I turned to him and I said, what are your, what are your goals for school? And he just said, I want to get good grades. Mm -hmm. And it was almost as if it was the first time the parents realized that he wasn't defying them. He wasn't trying to, to, you know, mess things up for anyone or himself and just wasn't able to do it. And we all have different types of brains and not all of those types of brains are a perfect match for a school based on memorizing and attention and lots of information. And, and they all of a sudden had compassion for their child. And I think that one way of managing the self-compassion as a parent and the compassion for the child is to say, you know what, the most important thing here is that I stay connected to my child. And, you know, whether it be the languages of love or having, you know, five positive interactions to everyone. So you're, you're just giving them those pats on the back or mm -hmm. that those can go a long way, I think, in terms of maintaining an attachment and a bond despite the challenges. Mm -hmm. And I think um, giving ourselves permission as parents not to have to carry forth the agenda of other people. Like we don't have to carry forth the, the coach's agenda, the teacher's agenda, the music teacher's agenda. Um, we can be the parent and, mm -hmm. and also just recognizing that everyone's really doing the best they can. I think it's helpful to start out with that assumption because most of the time it's true. And, mm -hmm. you know, and so when we build the skills, we do better. And so we're all on the same team. And, and I love how you focused on building that connection. Mm -hmm. So one last question about self-compassion as parents, you know, I think sometimes families have kind of a, a style of operating that is more go with the flow, less structured. Mm -hmm. And, and maybe the parents themselves feel like, I don't know if, if I can really provide the structure that they need. Maybe this is my fault. Maybe um, I have all these same issues. And what would you say to parents who are, are feeling that way? I would say that, you, that to look at the idea of self-acceptance and think about almost like you're creating a family culture. Mm -hmm. And what are the... Um, what are the standards that you're feeling that you're not meeting? You know, one of the things, um, you know, like, so for example, recent, before COVID, there was research coming out that at some of the most elite schools in the country, the rates of um, 
suicidal ideation and even suicidal attempts and depression were extraordinarily high. Mm -hmm. And there comes a time where we have to ask ourselves the question as, um, you know, I mean, one person who works at an elite school that I know was telling me that their mental health um, system was 85% of students were using the mental health system, wow. whereas only 10% were using the medical system that was on campus. Mm -hmm. And so they realized, okay, this is a leading indicator of something. Mm -hmm. And um, what I'm trying to say is that mental health is bigger than ADHD, yes. that if there is these intense performance demands or developmentally inappropriate expectations that can lead to depression and anxiety. So you're always trading one set of problems for another set of problems. It is not true that the highest academic achievers are mentally healthy right now. Right. Um, the data is not suggesting that. And when you look at, um, you know, the statistics, even that the, uh, you know, if people that are going to colleges and going to good colleges, there it's pretty pervasive that people are struggling with depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. So recognize there's a, recognizing there's a bigger goal here. Yes. We want to promote wellness and connection. And if mm -hmm. we can focus on those, then maybe we can let go of some of these other pressures that um, chip away at our own feelings of success as parents and our ability to celebrate our own children. So I think that that's, mm -hmm. that's a really wonderful reminder. Well, Laura, where would you recommend that our listeners find the next resource? So if they have resonated with what we've talked about, what is the next resource you would recommend for them? Um, well, as you mentioned, um, you know, the most recent book is The Six Super Skills. And um, I have a website, which is addisagift.com. I know on that website, you have a, a course called Mind Building, and it, it specifically takes parents through the six super skills and helping them know how to apply these. And so we will put a link to that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being with us. And we hope that all the listeners have come away with a sense of hope and compassion. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Compassion Parenting Podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts. What resonated with you? What questions came up? Let's continue the conversation on Instagram at Compassion Parenting or within my free Facebook group, Parenting Well, Raising Compassionate and Productive Humans. Links are in the show notes. If you've gained insight from the time we've shared today, leave a review and subscribe. There's a quick how-to in the show notes. Have a blessed week. May you love yourself, your family, and the world wisely and well.